Thank you for words of comfort, prayers of support. And now, Lord, as we open up your word, we pray be a message of hope to each one of our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to imagine not one child being dedicated, but three at one time from the same family. It happened. In fact, it happened at my ordination service. <laughs> it's rather interesting. I had just moved back to southeast Kansas, and as I moved back, I realized that since I had been going from church to church, I had four churches in my previous district, that I had not really settled my family into any real one of them, and I hadn't had a conference person come in the three and a half years to really dedicate my children. So I said, well, we might as well do it all at one time. <laughs> so there I was, dedicating my children, three at one time. And so I want you to imagine something like that is taking place. The parents have their children, of course, in their Sabbath best. They are bringing their children to the front. The officiant comes over to officiate. And right out of nowhere, a dear person from the congregation patriarch of the church stands up and comes up and grabs each one of the children and begins to bless them. Now that didn't really happen, by the way, at my service. But if you can imagine something like that taking place, parents bringing a special offering that was prescribed for such an occasion, they're bringing their children, their child, dressed in the finest clothing. We all know that they have these special dresses and suits and things for children. And they're presenting their child and right there comes the elder, elderly individual from the congregation. And what is his name? Simeon. Now, if that happened to you, if it happened during my dedication to my children, it would have been quite a shock to me. So if you can bottle up that shock value and now look at the story in Luke 2, it says, Then he, Simeon, took him up in his arms, as taking Jesus up, and he blesses God and says, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, which thou hast prepared. He recognized that God had a plan, and here was the child right here, the promised child that he had been looking forward to, a light to lighten the Gentiles and glory of thy people Israel. And so here is God's plan being fulfilled right in front of his eyes, and he couldn't help it. He just got up, and he went, if he was sitting down or if he was standing, he went over there to that child, takes the child, can you imagine being the priest or the person that's officiating there watching this happen? <laughs> that was your job, right? You're supposed to bless this child. And here's this individual taking the child, lifting him up and blessing him. Quite an it's, it, a situation here, but it gets more, a little more interesting. It says that in the blessing, he says to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. So there, instead of like most child dedications, instead of like most blessing prayers, he's telling her, when this child gets older, part of the plan is that you, Mary, will be wounded as a mother. You will be pierced through your own soul. Can you imagine Mary later on at the cross watching her boy hanging there dying, breathing his last? That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Your son is going to grow up, fulfill a wonderful plan for God, but at the same time, you will be wounded so that many hearts will be revealed. Well, that's what Simeon does. He blesses that child and, and utters that, those prophetic words, if you will. And now, right out of nowhere, it says, and there was one Anna now, so the patri patriarch stood. Now the matriarch stands up in the area there. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, 
and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years old. You can do the math there. She's been in the temple for quite a while. She has stayed in the temple, and she comes in that instant. So there's the mother and father coming to the priest, getting ready to have a blessing from the officiant, and Simeon steps forward as the officiant, and now Anna comes on the scene as well in that very instant that Simeon is blessing the child. She gives thanks to the Lord and spake of him to all of them that looked for redemption in Israel. She hears the blessing, she gives thanks to the Lord, and she goes about and begins sharing about this Jesus, this little boy named Jesus. Now, if you were the priest, you would think that that would have stood out in your mind, and you would have gone back and maybe even started searching the scriptures. We, we really don't have a record of that from the scriptures here. But it might have made an impression, I would think, upon me if I was the pastor standing there and that happened right in the middle of the congregation. Maybe you would have seen that child from time to time begin to grow up in the Lord. Maybe you would even heard about him challenging the priests at the temple with their knowledge. But you would think that that child dedication would stand out in your mind for the rest of your life. Well, we do know Jesus is a special child in the story. We do know that he had a special purpose. But this child must grow up to fulfill the prophecies of Simeon and Anna that they had uttered, the thanks and the blessings that they had uttered in the story. And I'm going to go ahead and review some of the things we talked about during our last baptism, and we're going to take it a step further. And so we looked in Luke 2.39, when they had performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, they had dedicated their child, they had done the circumcision, they had done the, everything ritually that they needed to do as far as the offering, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child, that's Jesus, he grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So this is a formula saying he's not just growing through the developmental stages of life, he's growing spiritually. Isn't that what we'd all want for our lives? We could be the Simeon in the story as far as age, but we would want to be the Simeon in the story who recognizes this is the Savior you've been looking for. We could be Anna in the story who before, you know, she's aged in years, but wouldn't it be wonderful to be Anna, not just in age, but the one who recognizes this is the Savior. And so we see ourselves in the story wanting to be the ones who would recognize the Messiah, that would, that would recognize that as he's growing up, this is the one. This is the one that the prophecies are pointing forward to. And so Jesus himself, as we watch him grow, we see him growing spiritually. And that's what we all want to do in our hearts, Lord willing. And it says the grace of God was upon him. The kindness of God was upon him. In this formula of the child growing, we find there's all kinds of terms related to child development. Even in the Jewish system, they saw that as the child grew firm and strong, that was a later developmental stage where they would be a ripened one, one ready for warfare, one ready to be in leadership. And so we find Jesus growing and becoming the one who would be leading us all to the heavenly promised land. Strong in the Spirit is what happened to Jesus. And we find out that, that, yes, it happened at his youth. Yes, it happened as he would go to the synagogue and read the Scriptures. And as you look over here to Luke chapter 2 later on, you find that he goes and has worship opportunities in verse 42, the custom of the feast. He would be subject to his parents. He would learn from them as well. And then it says that there would be times where he would go to the synagogue, the public place of worship, and he would read, stand up to read. And so how does he grow spiritually? 
learns from his parents. And some of you who have father figures and things like that. I didn't, my father figure wasn't really very present in my life when I was growing up. But imagine that you have the perfect father figure. Right? And you become more like that person. And people notice. And people want to be like you because of the person you're, that you are emulating. That's what we find happening to Jesus. He's growing in spirit and wisdom and in the grace of God is, is shining upon him. Kindness of God is upon him. And people are noticing this. Even when he stands up to read. You imagine everybody stands up to read from time to time. You find there was scripture memorization. There was, there was whole books of the Bible that these young men and uh, girls and boys would memorize. And imagine this Jesus stands up, and it's, it's different again. It's just like at his dedication. It's different there, and it's different as he grows along in life. And now it's different. He's standing up to read, and there's something different about him. And yet he seems like Joseph's son in a lot of ways, too. They begin to watch as this young man grows in spirit by attending those worship opportunities, by grasping the object lessons. And you add all these texts together. He's memorizing Scripture. He's learning a trade. He's engaging in life. He's growing physically, but he's growing spiritually. And that's what the text is saying. If we want to follow the footsteps of Jesus, we want to grow in Christ, grow up into the stature of Christ, then we have to look at Jesus as our example. And in Luke 3, we find he becomes the stage where he is strong in the Spirit. It says in Luke 3.15, as the people were in expectation, they were watching with expectation, they were looking for, what were they looking for? They were looking forward to it when Simeon and Anna had already, <laughs> had already testified to it in the past. They were looking for the Messiah to come. They were wanting to not just have the spiritual leader, they were wanting to have the warrior come and to remove the Roman bondage. We have several texts of this. We had would-be Messiahs, that are referred to in the book of Acts, but they're looking for the Christ. And if you doubt that, keep reading. And all men mused in their hearts of John whether he were the Christ. So it's clear right there from the text that they're in expectation for the Messiah. They're looking for the anointed one. What's interesting as we continue on is he's literally anointed right in front of a lot of them, and they don't, still don't accept it. John answered, said to them, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh. There's that strong warrior language. Jesus is not just your everyday spiritual person. He is a mighty man of valor spiritually. What kind of mighty men do we have in the Bible, warrior-wise? I was uh, slipping and sliding with my kids on the snow yesterday. And yeah, that happens every once in a while, especially when they imagine me to be Goliath. And they're Davids. They're all Davids, right? And, they've, and Michaela's Davida, so you add an A to the end, right? And so they've all got these snowballs, and I'm the biggest guy around, so there you are, and I'm dodging and all that slipping. And imagine being a big, strong individual, and you have found yourself in a snowy situation with a lion. And now the only thing you really have are your hands, or maybe some rocks or little sticks or something to club it with. Would you be able to handle a lion with that close proximity in the slippery conditions that, I, that would happen like that. Well, that's the mighty men of the Old Testament. That's David's mighty men. And you hear John is saying, there's one coming mightier than I am. This is the Jesus we're talking about, who spiritually could handle any situation they threw his way. And yet he did it so peacefully. 
Look at verse 17. Whose fan is in his hand, he will thoroughly purge his floor. He will gather the wheat into his garner. He will burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. There will be a judgment. This is the one who's mightier than I, John says. The one who is the judge. The one who I pointed you to. He's the Messiah. And you would think they'd all just pack up all their belongings and follow Jesus all the way to his death on the cross. And they would, maybe they wouldn't even allow the death to take place. But they, as you find the story continuing, you find they don't all follow Jesus. It says, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus, the one who John was pointing to, also being baptized, and he praying, the heaven was open, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. Some think it's white, some think it's gold. Anyway, this dove comes down upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, and thee I am well pleased. And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age. That's the age when they would assume leadership, like Joseph. You find he was in Potiphar's house, eventually becomes leader of Egypt. Uh, strong in the spirit type age. And they say, well, being as was supposed, the son of Joseph. He really was the son of God. But here he is, being baptized. Praying up to, to heaven, and now you find a dove comes down. Bodily form. A voice comes from heaven. And even if they didn't hear the specific words because their spiritual ears were not open, they would at least hear, at least what the Philistines heard, a thunder from heaven. Something happened that day phenomenally. Just like there back at the dedication, just like watching him grow up as a child, now watching him be baptized, something is happening. And God is attesting to this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. John has pointed to this guy. Simeon and Anna have pointed to this individual. And here... Heaven is pointing to this individual and saying, follow him. Be like him. Isn't that really what baptism is all about anyway? Aren't we just following the Lamb, his example? And so what steps does Jesus take? Well, we know he overcomes in the wilderness, but he continues a ministry. He'd already been interacting with individuals before that. He'd already shown through his meek life really what God was like. But another text comes to mind as I look at this one. Go on over and we find at Jesus' baptism, something specifically happened there that I want to emphasize. What happened at Jesus' baptism? Look here in Matthew chapter 3. Companion text. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee. Luke doesn't mention this. Luke is mostly focusing on what's happening. This is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. But Matthew is clear. John says, I have, I, I'm not worthy. I'm going to step aside and, and, and yeah, say, man, you're going to do the baby dedication. You know, this is a humbleness here. I'm not worthy to baptize you. I need to be baptized by you, John, Jesus. And why do you come to me? He's been pointing everybody to this Savior, to this Messiah. He doesn't want anything to detract from that. He wants everybody to see clearly, this is the one. I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus answered and said to him, Suffer it to be so right now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. That's just, this is King James language, but if you look at it, and you look at different translations of it, suffer it, let it be come to pass for the present time. Right now, I know it doesn't make sense to you, John. It seems a little incongruent. The Messiah being baptized by the one who's pointing everybody to the Messiah. But it's part of the plan.
It becomes us to fulfill all righteousness. A lot of scholars like to point out, well, is the us the Godhead or is it us, the John, and Jesus? Oh, what if it's both? What if it's the Godhead saw in the plan of salvation that, that Jesus would come, John would point everybody to Jesus, and by Jesus being baptized, it would solidify in John's mind, this is the one. He would continue pointing people all the way to his death. This is the one. And then the dove would come down and all of that. John had a part to play in it, did he not? Don't we all have a part to play in the plan of salvation? We're not the authors of it, but we have a part to play. So yes, John and Jesus were playing a part, and yes, us also could be referring to the Godhead. It's probably both. And so John's ministry pointed to Jesus. Jesus validates John's ministry by allowing him to be baptized by John. And that was part of the plan of salvation. And this marks, in a lot of people's minds, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Fulfilling all righteousness. So when I was baptized, I thought, well, you know, Jesus was baptized. Obviously did it perfectly, without blemish. So I want to follow in that example. Some people say, well, if I was to die before I was baptized, well, then I guess his counts, right? Well, yeah, you could say that. But why wouldn't I want to follow that same example? Why wouldn't I want to be baptized? It's such a, it seems like a small thing for me to do for everything that he has done. And so, yeah, I was baptized. To fulfill all righteousness. It was the right thing to do. I was following Jesus, and John was telling Jesus, this is fulfilling righteousness. This is part of the plan. Sorry, Jesus was telling John that. And Jesus, when he was baptized, he went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. So you got this light going on here, and a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Doesn't God long to say that about each one of us we are his children he's pleased with us isn't it easier sometimes for you to, to tell a child no or to say ah don't do that but doesn't a child soak it up even more when the parent says hey come on over here and they start doing something and they start praising that child and pointing out the wonderful goodness of the fact that, that child is doing the right thing i can tell you right now that's probably a little more redemptive and lasting to encourage a child than to, to withhold it. And so God comes to each one of us and says, you are my child. I love you. Each one of you has a part in the plan of salvation. Fulfill your part. And in a way, in your life, all righteousness is being fulfilled. Then Christ in you, fulfilling that plan, you are fulfilling all righteousness. And so heaven does respond. Jesus is baptized. John and Jesus do have a part to play, but more, than like, more likely the focus is on the Godhead, on God fulfilling His plan in our lives. What does this have to do with our baptism today and growing up in Christ? Well, as I look at Ephesians 4, there's one body, one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. It links baptism to our heavenly family. One God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. So if God is in each one, of, is in us, willing to, if by invitation He's willing to come into our lives and to change us and to lead our lives, then there's only one Spirit, one Lord, one God and Father of all. That's the, that's the Trinity formula right here in this text. 
So then baptism takes on a new meaning. It's saying, I'm following in the footsteps of Jesus. I'm giving my all publicly. I'm inviting him into my life. And you wonder, well, one Spirit, one Lord, one Father. Uh, why is it kind of in reverse? Doesn't it say Father, Son, Holy Spirit? It's almost like he's building up to a point and saying, this, this was also the Father's plan as well. Oftentimes, relegate the Father as, as some other, he's somewhere way out there, he's distant. But he's saying here, no, actually, the Father is the author of the oneness. The Father is there as well. It's part of his plan. You ever see a, a dad go up to his boy or girl and just, they look in each other's eyes? There's a love there between the two. It's love between the, the spouse. And you, look at this. This is, this is perfect love. God's saying, one Spirit, one Lord, one Father of all. And if He is in each one of us, then we'll have that same love in our lives. And He points out the Father, really, as being above all and in you all. Oftentimes, Paul mentions Jesus being in us, or the Spirit. But here he's clear, it's also the Father who is in you. That loving Father who had this plan for your life. And it says he'll be in you all. And then later in verse 7, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So the Father has it planned that he'll pour out goodness into our lives. Gifts into our lives. And go down to verse 15, but speaking the truth in love that we may grow, and that's the same word that they mentioned for Jesus growing up in the years, growing up into God, growing strong in the Spirit, that we would grow up into Him in all things which is the head, even Christ. We are all growing up and becoming more like Jesus. That's the Father's plan. And baptism is a public way of saying, I see what Jesus did. I see the plan of salvation being fulfilled through Him. And now, now I want to do as Jesus did. Not just today. My baptism was in 99. Not just then, but every day of my life. I want to continue growing more and more like Jesus. So I invite His presence daily, but there are also times when publicly we make a statement of faith as well. And that's why we have this as part of our service here this morning. I uh, think to myself, Jesus could have just began His ministry, right? He didn't... We could reason that could have just began it and all of that. John pointed everybody to Jesus to start your ministry, but he chose in his life to be baptized, to hear the presence, have the presence of the Spirit, and then to go forward in his Father's plan, knowing that he was the beloved Son of God. And so he made a public statement of faith. So each one of us, it behooves us to do the same. So this morning, there's some here who want to make that commitment not just to invite Jesus daily into their lives, but to, you, to follow in the footsteps of Christ, to grow more and more like, more like Christ, and to be a part of your body of believers who it's our goal to grow together until we meet Jesus face to face.